0: You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Amen. You may be seated. You may even be seated at home if you would like. So, um, we'll be in uh, Psalm 82 this morning. So, if you want to turn in your Bibles to that place and... um, I just want to recount just a handful of, of recent events here, um, just to set the context for us hearing God's word today. On February 23rd of 2020, 25-year-old Ahmad Arbery was shot to death by two men in a pickup truck. And on March 13th, 2020, 26-year-old Brianna Taylor was shot eight times in her own apartment by Louisville police executing a search warrant in the wrong address may 25th just recently george floyd was killed in the streets by a police officer with the the knee of that police officer on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds i don't know if you have watched the video but eight minutes and 46 seconds is a really long time and uh and there are tens of thousands of these kinds of stories when you think through the history of our country going back um, even to before our country began and we see even today a lot of unrest in our nation even in our own city demonstrations and riots and violence and so we hear the word injustice a lot right now and uh, it's before us every day and there are racial tensions there are looting of property There is uh, violence all around us, and so we wonder what do we do with injustice? What do we do? What do we say? What are we supposed to feel? Especially when there's so many different perspectives and there's so many different motivations that go within these things. How do we, what do we do? What do we say? How should we feel? Um, I think that is important to think about but I'm also afraid that sometimes we jump too quickly to what we, sh- we should say and feel. And I think we forget sometimes these scriptures right here. Proverbs 29.20 says, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope f- for a fool than for him. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. And I would argue that the posture that we ought to take today as we approach this psalm is Second Chronicles twenty thirteen. O oh, our God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So as we think about what we should feel or do or say in light of all of the events that have, have been happening around us, I think we should first turn our eyes to see what does God feel and what does God say? And what does God think about these matters? We could go to many places in the scriptures because there God addresses these kinds of issues. Uh, Injustice has been around a a long time. Um, People sinning against one another at odds with one another has been around for a long time since the beginning. Um, Since the day that Adam and Eve ate the fruit, there has been tension between them. And in fact, things got so bad that they actually had one son kill another son without remorse and you could uh, spin a globe and put your finger down randomly anywhere and you would put your finger down on a place where there is long standing injustices and crimes against people Uh, if it were to land in water you could you could think of all of the things that have passed through that slaves or or illegal substances or pirates that have traveled through there. injustices if you landed on land no doubt that you would be putting your finger on a place where people have been wronged and justice has been experienced. We are surrounded by it and have been since the beginning. So what do we do? What, what would God say? So if you would turn with me to Psalm 82, it's just eight verses long, but we will be confronted here and maybe comforted, comforted and confronted, maybe at the same time in terms of what would God say? What does God say? As I was thinking about um, this particular message, Psalm 82 was already scheduled for this summer, uh, a little bit later in the summer, but it seemed like kind of in light of of certain events here, this would be a timely word for us today. And so um, let us humbly go before the the word and hear what God has to say. Psalm 82, verse one, a Psalm of Asaph. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked, Selah? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. O God, I pray that in this time we would come humbly before your word. And Lord, there are, are so many places that we could go in your word to speak um, to our times, to our hearts. And I, I believe, Lord, you have led us to this place. So, Lord, I pray that we would come to your word humbly, willing to hear whatever it is that you have to say. Lord, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open and that we would be helped by your word to live more faithfully, uh, to respond in Christ-like ways to the situations that are around us. And so, Lord, we pray that in some small way you would help us, help us, your church, To be more faithful to you uh, in the day that you have placed us and for your glory. We ask for your help in these next few minutes to understand and to apply the things that you would have for us today in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as we dig into this psalm, I want to uh, handle, I want to just discuss a few uh, tricky things within the passage. Um, Let's look at the first verse. trying to uh, to find it here on the slides so you can see it. So here we see in verse 1 a Psalm of Asaph. Asaph was a prominent Levi singer in the time of David and he was essentially the worship leader for David's court under David's rule. He was the son of Berkiah of the tribe of Levi and you can read about him in 1 Chronicles 6, 1 Chronicles 15, 16 and 2nd Chronicles 29 and the Asaph family became a in, in a sense a um, a, um, a a guild of, of temple musicians and so the uh, the Psalms of Asaph actually refer to those who are of the family of Asaph and so it's a it's a string of worship leaders who serve the Lord faithfully in his temple so we don't know exactly which of the family of Asaph wrote this psalm it could have been during the time of David it could have been later as well Uh, But we see that this is a worship song. It's a a very interesting and maybe a surprising worship song for us to think about. Uh, Also in verse 1, we see that the word divine counsel, and there have been a lot of people that have debated what does that mean, divine counsel. Uh, It seems to me like the best way to translate this, we won't get into all the details of this, I'll just tell you what I think the faithful understanding of this is, is that this is God's congregation, assembly, or even a divine courtroom here. So I don't believe that this is a, like a supernatural um, senate or um, board of directors or anything like that. This seems to be that this is God's gathering uh, for the sake of, of, uh, of declaring his will, of declaring his assessments. This is God's congregation. This would be like the Old Testament word for church. This is God's assembly that he is now presiding over this courtroom, over this assembly, over this gathering. And then in verses 1 and 6, we see that he is in the midst of gods and calls, um, calls to account these little g gods. Now, I don't believe these to be supernatural beings or other deities. These are people, and this is important to understanding the passage, but that by gods here, he is referring to human authorities who exercise a godlike authority in matters of life and death. These are people who are um, who under God's sovereignty have his authority to execute justice over the world, particularly in matters of life and death. Kings, rulers, judges, in our day public servants, presidents, senators, governors, generals, etc. Those people who whom God has, has given authority to render powerful decisions particularly in matters of life and death over others and so that's what's being talked about here Elohim the powerful ones the ones who um, who uh, exercise this kind of authority over others so here's what we have is we have God calling this assembly of authoritative leaders uh, authoritative human leaders for the sake of um, rendering his assessment of their oversight their exercise of their authority that God has given them, he is going to give them, um, render his decision. And so today's message is called God Against Injustice, which obviously in these times is kind of a provocative title, but God is a God of justice and God is a God of of glory and righteousness and he takes justice seriously. And in Psalm 82, we get his opinion on these matters. And so in verses one and two, well, we've got, uh, we've got four five points that I want to, four points that I want to lay out for you. So I'll just go ahead and give them to you here is in verse one and two, we'll see that God laments and calls out unjust actions. And then in verses three and four, we'll see that God defines and commands true justice. And in verses five through seven, God exposes and holds accountable unjust powers. And then lastly, in verse eight, we have the sweet promise that God is able and promises to bring true justice to the world. So verses 1 and 2, God laments and calls out unjust actions. Let's read 1 and 2 again. God has taken his place in the divine counsel. And in the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. And he says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? So this literally in the Hebrew is the Elohim of the Elohim. He is, he is the powerful one over all other powerful ones. And he, in a sense, brings this state of the union address. He gathers them up. It's like, and he's calling to the tribunal so that he can render judgment on how those who have been given authority over other human beings, what they have done. And here's what he says. The very first words out of God's mouth, if you can just imagine a vine courtroom and God takes his seat and everyone is hushed. What are the first words out of Elohim, out of God's mouth, are this. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. If you could just imagine the weight of those words. Here we have, in a sense, God's divine protest against the injustice that he has witnessed. He is speaking out against the things that he has seen. And he brings this lament. How long? We have... Uh, dozens of times throughout the Psalms where human beings bring their lament of how long to the Lord? How long will you forget me forever? This this lament of God, things are not right. How long will we have to put up with this? And here we have this very strong statement of God asking human beings, how long? How long will you put up with these kinds of actions? How long will you who are in authority um, do these things before me? And I think we see in these two lines, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? I think we see here that God is addressing both individual injustice, they have personally judged unjustly in the first line, but I think he is also speaking to systemic injustice, that they show partiality to the wicked. They sit atop structures and they oversee systems that are weighted against certain people and towards those who are wicked. Sometimes I think we have, we tend to lean one way or the other. We tend to see it always being individual responsibility or we tend to think that it's always systemic. And I think the Bible and I think God even himself here says that it's both. Sin has so broken everything that it's not just human beings individually that are broken and do sinful things, but the, the, the systems that are made up of human beings can be unjust. And Jesus is, and, and God is calling out these rulers for both. They have personally acted unjustly and they oversee a system that is partial, particularly partial to those who want to take advantage of others. Why does God bother to assemble this tribunal and voice his displeasure? Because he's not far off, he is near. And he loves the oppressed and the victimized. He loves his own honor displayed in every human being made in God's image. And because he laments that his image bearers are using his divine authority to exploit other image bearers. It would be good for us to to come up with a definition of injustice. And Webster's dictionary defines it as the absence of justice or the violation of a right or of the rights of another. So what gives someone rights at all? Who's to say that anyone has any rights? Why is violating these so-called rights such a big deal? And really, it's the Christian worldview, it's the Bible that ultimately gives us the fundamental foundation for why every human being has dignity and worth. Our own statement of faith here at Redeeming Grace Church under the heading of humankind has a statement on human dignity and worth. And listen to what is said here. I will go ahead and put it on the screen so you can see it. But here's what we've embraced at Redeeming Grace Church Considering uh, about human dignity and worth. And just think about this in terms of injustice. We believe that since God created every human life in his image, each one is unique, possesses divine dignity, and is worthy of respect and protection. From conception to natural death, human life is of inestimable worth including every condition, race, ethnicity, ability, and social status, regardless of the value a society may place upon specific groups or individuals. So we believe that injustice is when someone's dignity as a divine image bearer has been violated. And in so doing, God takes it personal because every person is made in his image to glorify and reflect him. And how saddening it must be for God to see someone made in his image, use that image to then deface or devalue the image of God in another. The dignity given to one used to rob the other one of dignity. So for the Christian who believes their Bible, Every person is made in the image of God and therefore possesses divine dignity, every single one, regardless of what they've done, regardless of who they are, regardless of how valuable they, they are to society. Every human being has divine dignity and is worthy of respect and protection. Every image bearer is worthy of respect and protection for the entirety of their life because they are of un, in, un, inestimable worth. You cannot put a price tag on a human life because you cannot put a price tag on the image of God. Every person of every race, because they bear the image of God, is of inestimable worth. So as I think about the George Floyd situation, watching the video, you see one person made in the image of God with their knee on the neck of another person made in the image of God, and one is crying out for m- mercy, and the other is refusing to give it. And, and I wonder if you've you've thought about it, kind of in those terms. And what a sad reality that is for both human beings, that the image of God it has has been so twisted that both of them, both of them are not as they, not experiencing life as they should. And here we have this musical uh, statement, uh, the word selah. Selah is kind of a, a, a strange word. It's hard to know exactly what it means, but it's almost surely a musical indicator of some kind. And we're not exactly sure, but it seems like it's, the, it, it's a pause. And so this was a song that would be sung by God's people and they were supposed to pause and let the weight of the words just before the selah land on them. So they were to take personally to heart this statement. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? And they're supposed to stop in the music and just sit under the weight of that. It's interesting that this call of cosmic accountability for unjust actions is something that ordinary people of Israel were to sing and worship. Does that seem strange? It it does to me. This was not just an issue between God and those in authority. But this was an issue for all the people. Those in leadership are to feel the accountability from heaven downward, but they're also to feel the accountability from the bottom up, from the common people, reminding them that they're accountable to God and to the people they lead. As people of all classes and statuses under the authority of God, sing God's words of reckoning in their worship assemblies. They were to sing these words to God, they were to sing these words to each other, they were to sing these words to those in authority. And in so doing, all the people should feel the responsibility before God in confronting the injustice and partiality that's in front of them. Think about Deuteronomy sixteen, eighteen through 20. Here God tells his people before they're about to go into the land, says you shall appoint for yourselves judges and officers in all your towns which the Lord your God is giving you. So the people had the responsibility the God-given authority to choose their leaders. According to your tribes they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. He's telling this to the people you are to make sure that you have authorities that execute judgment this way. You all the people, not just the leaders, but all, you shall not distort justice. You shall not be partial and you shall not take a bribe for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the word of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall pursue that you may live and possess the land which the Lord God is giving you. So it was responsibility of all of Israel and particularly as Americans and we live in a Democratic Republic we all share in choosing our leaders and holding them accountable and we all share in um, in what happens under those leaders we all share to varying degrees in um, in the governing of our own country Ligon Duncan says this he says these passages teach that the responsibility for godly leadership rests upon the entire community The people as a whole have an obligation to make sure that godly leaders are appointed. They must resist peer pressure and stand alone if necessary in upholding righteousness. This is obviously true within the church, within God's people, but these principles also extend to secular human government as well. So we see right out of the gate that Christians, um, well here, we as Christians, as God's people, have a responsibility to speak up First to God in lament when we see injustice because he sees it too. And then in repentance because that same injustice is in our own hearts. We're partial. We wait things for our own purposes. And then we cry out to God in mercy and in petition. We see that in this psalm as well. But second, to one another in our gatherings, we sing of justice, of God's good justice and of our longing for his justice to be manifest among us. And we do, we thirdly, we we declare and speak to the world and those in authority that we will not, that God will not permit injustice for long and we are all accountable, all of us. Selah. We should think on these things and take them to heart. So after this divine imperative, we see that God defines and commands true justice in verse three and four. And he makes four statements right in succession, like a, like a machine gun here. He then, after laying out his indictment, he then says this. He says, Give justice to the weak and fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. God calls these human rulers to correct the injustices, to make it right, to repent, to step into your God-given God representing God accountable role that you've been put there for. Human government exists because injustice exists. And human government has the responsibility ever since God instituted it in Genesis 9 to help restrain the wicked hearts of human beings. And we see four overlapping commands and rein, four overlapping and reinforcing commands here. We see first the call to give justice, which means adjudicate fairly right the wrongs, and balance the scales for the disadvantaged. This presumes that we live in a world where inequities and disadvantages do exist. And you as the authorities have the God accountable responsibility to try to correct those as much as humanly possible. Justice is the right response to injustice, not more injustice. And that's part of what's What's uh, a, a problem is that peaceful protesting is, is, a, is a very normal, good thing in our country. Rioting is just adding injustice to injustice, and it's creating more and more victims. And so, God doesn't call for them to correct their injustice with justice, but to co- or injustice, but to correct injustice with justice. I don't know if I said that right or not, but I think you get the point. Secondly, He says, maintain rights. Maintain the rights of the afflicted and the destitute. This means have the same standards to especially defend the dignity of those who are minorities the afflicted and the destitute those whom by circumstance have been pushed um, out of the center. This presumes that we live in a world where dignity can be attacked and so we have to work hard to make sure that people's rights are protected. Fourth, or third, we see uh, the command to rescue the weak. It's literally provide refuge. Provide refuge for the weak and the needy because they're vulnerable. Provide pathways to safety and prosperity to actively enter and engage what threatens others. And this presumes that real threats exist to people. And some people live under more threats and dangers than others. And it is part of our responsibility to try to provide refuge for those who are weak and needy. And then lastly, deliver them from the hand of the wicked, pull them out of danger. Don't make them stand alone. So if we were to flip these four commands over, we can see what God's, what God is confronting. These so-called gods have withheld justice for the weak and fatherless. They have trampled the God given rights to the afflicted and the destitute. They have ignored cries for help and they have permitted victimization. And God is holding them accountable for that and asking them to correct this. Now, when he was saying how long, he means I want you to deal with this now. And so if, if our leaders don't do these things, then that's on us and that was true of Israel and would certainly be true for us in a democratic republic is that we should Uh, expect these things in our own country as well. So verses five through seven, this is a a, a really super interesting few verses here. God exposes and holds accountable unjust powers. Look at verses five through seven. They, meaning these who are in authority, the reason that they are not executing justice and why in, in a sense we will see them actually ignore God's good commands is they have neither knowledge nor understanding, they walk about in darkness All the foundations of the earth are shaken and God says I said you are gods sons of the Most High all of you nevertheless like men you shall die and fall like any prince unjust powers exist because of moral ignorance and outright evil of darkness so what we have is we have we live in a world where people don't know God the ultimate problem is that people don't know God and they don't understand the implications of what's going on. So I think that's what we're getting at is that knowledge. These people don't know the way of God because they don't know God. Therefore, they don't know justice. Nor is their understanding, meaning that they don't understand all of the spiritual dimensions that are going on, that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, and authorities in the heavenly places. We're in a spiritual battle for the eternal, uh, for, for the eternal stake of, of people. And they walk about in darkness and we are called to be the people of light. And therefore, the conclusion at the end of verse five is that all the foundations of the earth are shaken. The social order is totally unraveling because sin has permeated every part. And when sin begins to have power as well, it really shatters the social order. The whole world is destabilized by it. We've seen that from the garden, from the very beginning, that sin in the hearts of human beings has now destabilized everything, and we struggle. We struggle, and we see that even in our own land. And ultimately, he says that their lack of knowledge of him, their lack of understanding of their decisions, and their walking in darkness will result in the judgment of death. That's what sin deserves, and that's what um, what God's judgment will be on sin and injustice. A lack of knowledge and honor of God and spiritual darkness is the primary issue behind all injustice. It's our estrangement before God. Micah 6.8, God says something very clearly. He says, he, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And in this psalm, we see that these leaders have violated all, all three of these. They have denied justice, they have hated kindness, and they've walked defiantly before God so what about us are we marked personally by just actions do we love kindness are we humbly walking with God because we do know God and we know what's really going on in the world we have the answers and we are the children of light and so may this never be said of us and then verse 8 I love verse 8 we'll spend a few minutes here as well God is able and promises to bring true justice. So here we have at the end this call, this call of the people to God in light of all that's going on, along of all this sadness and judgment that is in this psalm, listen to the hope of verse 8. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. There is a God in heaven who is just, who sees everything. Nothing escapes his view. We have human gods, so to speak, that are utter failures. Even the great King David, who was said to be a man after God's own heart, destroyed his own kingdom with sin and injustice. He weighted the kingly system in order that he could take another man's wife and murder that man without any retribution. And God held him accountable. So certainly, if the great King David is capable of great injustice, so is every man. And so we call out to God, we need a new Elohim. We need a, g- a new God man. We need a new human being who can come and can execute God's authority rightly. We need one who will render right judgment and will inherit the nations. We, can you think of anyone in history that qualifies for that position? There is only one and his name is Jesus. And Jesus actually quotes this Psalm in John chapter 10. John ten thirty one. the Jews picked up stones again to stone him and Jesus answered them I have shown you many good works from the father which of them are you going to stone me I have done nothing but justice since I've been here I have righted wrongs every this entire time I've been here I've righted wrongs I've I've I have pushed back the effects of sin Jesus has acted so justly and look at where it's getting in verse 33 the Jews answered him it's not for any good work that we are going to stone you but for blasphemy because you being a man make yourself God and Jesus answered them is it not written in your law I said you are gods if he called them gods to whom gods were the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world you are blaspheming because because I said I am the son of God what he's meaning there is that in a sense there was God like authority given to human beings and they misused it and they did not deserve to be called representatives of God but I am the true representative of God I am the one who truly has deserves to have this kind of authority and here's what he says verse 37 if I am not doing the works of my father then do not believe me because I'm just like the rest of you because you don't do the works of my father either but if I do them even though you do not believe in me believe the works I do justice I love kindness I alone walk rightly before God that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father there is one who has come is the perfect God man the perfect ruler the perfect authority who executes justice Jesus is the only one who does justice and it got him killed Jesus felt the worst of injustice When you think of the cross of Jesus Christ, you are witnessing the greatest injustice that has ever been committed. The creation willfully, purposefully murdered their good creator who came to them to make things right. And they were so sick in their own hearts, they lynched him. They killed him. But in that same moment, we see the greatest expression in that Jesus himself bore the full justice of God. We see the worst of humanity at the cross. And we see the wrath of God poured out on Jesus. And yet at the same time, we see the greatest kindness, the greatest mercy, all in the same moment at the cross. And so where do we go with our injustices? Where do we go when we're feeling the wrath of God against us? Where do we go when we want mercy and where we want things to be corrected? We go to the cross. And we do that individually. And I pray as, as a new community, we as a church are God's new community. We are his ambassadors. And so we point people to the cross. We cry out for justice because Christ has purchased justice and mercy. And our hope for racial reconciliation is found in Ephesians two fourteen through 16. He, meaning Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through Jesus Christ, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus is the only one who can ultimately deal with the wrongs in our hearts, the wrongs in our world. So we should fight on the human level for these things, but we should also realize that ultimately it's only Jesus who can really solve these things. And listen to Revelation 7, 9 through 11 look at where we're headed this is what jesus promises us he says after this i looked and behold a great multitude that no one can number from every nation and tribe all peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Those of us that trust in Christ are headed for that place. And doesn't that sound like a great place considering all that we are experiencing today? And God's church is meant to be an expression of heaven on earth imperfectly We want to live that out, that multiracial, glorifying God unity is brought, is to be displayed in us. Revelation 21, 3 and 4, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be Mourning, nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away we've all committed injustices we've all had injustices committed against us and they're all going to be wiped away by the perfect God man the perfect king so in, as, in terms of application I have six quick ones here number one let us love in word and deed those who are different from us who've had different experiences than us Let us investigate our own hearts for roots and species of the sins that we see around us. Let's look for those in our own hearts first and let's ask ourselves, do we really love people who are different from us? Do we really love them? Because God has poured his love into our hearts through Jesus and God loves them. Number two, let us listen to those who have experienced injustice against them think of the child who says they've been abused by an adult that child should be heard and believed and their claims investigated formally the woman who says she's been sexually assaulted should be heard and believed and her claims should be investigated formally and for our native or black or other minority who says they're experiencing justice they should be heard and they should be believed and they, their claims should be investigated formally and determined if there's something that can be done there. Let us be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry. And let us lament, number three, let us lament with God and others unjust actions against image bearers of God. I pray that when you see these videos come out that, that, that the first cry of your heart is to lament because there are people who feel this. There are mothers, there are family members, there are people of... Uh, Particularly like with the George George Floyd thing, there are black people across the country that are weary of this and they hurt and they just want others to come and lament with them that a life was lost. So let us lament. Let us learn to lament before we all of a sudden try to fix. And number four, let us learn from God's word. Let us learn from the experiences of others and the painful past and present. All of us have blind spots. All of us have different perspectives. So let us learn. Number five, let us leverage what we have for the sake of justice. Within our power, let's try to do good. Let's call out with God and others unjust actions and attitudes when we see them. And let's use our voices and influence to help those things come to light. And I mean that in a neighborly way. And I mean that in, 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 in ways, think of your neighbor. Think of the people in your, own na- in your own neighborhood. Let's use what we have for the sake of justice. And then last, lastly, let's ultimately look to Jesus alone. And he, the one who embodies perfect justice. And let's look to him to lead us in this way in our lives and in the church. And if you are not a believer, I pray that you would come to Jesus. There's no other hope anywhere else that should be evident by now. And so don't look to yourself. Don't look to worldly powers or other religions. Look to Jesus, the one perfect God-man who bore God's justice against you for you, extends God's mercy for you, and will right every injustice that's been done to you. He will do it. Repent of your sin, turn to him, and he, these promises can be yours. And as a church, let us enjoy and display and share God's justice and mercy with the world in the gospel. John Perkins says this. He says, The reason we haven't solved the race problem in America after hundreds of years is that people apart from God are trying to create unity, while people under God already have unity and are not living it out. May Redeeming Grace Church look as much like heaven as we possibly can by enjoying displaying his multi ethnic family and gospel love and sharing the message that heals, restores, unites, and saves the whole world. Let's be that kind of people. Let's go to him in prayer. God, we humbly come before you from, these, from, from your word. God, uh, I pray that there is something of help here. I know that where there are many words, sin is not absent. And so I am fully aware that I am not an inspired prophet by any means. It's your word we rely on. And so, Lord, I pray that anything of you would be taken to heart and anything that's not of you would be quickly forgotten. And, Lord, I do pray that you would stir our hearts with compassion and with zeal, to not just overlook these things or dismiss these things, but to, to understand where, what to do with them in light of your gospel and your truth and the fact uh, that you do hold accountable and you do render just judgment and you also extend mercy to the repentant. So Lord, I pray that if there are some who are watching this who have experienced these kinds of things, they would be comforted in knowing that there is a God who sees and cares and will make it right. And I pray, Lord, that we would be sympathetic to all who've experienced injustice across the spectrum, anyone that's been sinned against. And Lord, I pray that we would deal with the sin in our own hearts first, that we would take the log out of our own eyes before we begin to look at the speck in another's. So Lord, we need your help. We need your grace. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: truth, a fount of perfect wisdom, my highest good and my unending. the car.
0: Okay. So at the end of each message, we've given the opportunity to ask questions. So if there is a question about the message or or whatever, you need to get it in quick because we're about a minute ahead of you in terms of the live stream. So uh, it's easy for us to miss them if they don't come in quickly. But Jordan, do you have any questions?
2: Yeah, I guess uh, first thing is just thank you for, I think, being willing to talk on this topic. You know, like that's that's huge. So I'm thankful to have a pastor who's willing to talk about the hard topics, so be encouraged there, and I thought you rightly handled it very, very well, brother, so. Well, thank you. Um, so I don't have a ton of questions, but I think of, uh, I was thinking through a lot of them, and then you got to the application at the end, and I was like, oh, man, there goes all my questions, so um, so there's there's a little boost of your pride there, <laughs> um, I'm just teasing. Um I guess I think of kind of one question is how do we Make sure you're holding close. Okay, yeah. how do we rightly um, sort of stand with or stand against unjust actions and also stand with um, with true just true justice, I guess is that clear?
0: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I am not an expert on these things and uh there was a podcast with kevin DeYoung, who's a pastor i respect quite a bit and he's was asked kind of a similar question he's like i don't know like mm. i do think that for us it should start from our own hearts yeah and that we should not just assume that we everything we we think or perspective is the only ex- perspective and the only way to think about it so i do think a teachable humble mm. spirit I think that that comes from being really rooted in your identity in Christ to mm-hmm. the point that you're like, you're willing to hear something that maybe you haven't heard before, or maybe kind of challenges you a bit, but you're not so knocked off guard right. that even if it doesn't come exactly the way you expect it, you're secure enough in Christ and you're trusting enough that he is going to do the right thing that I'm able to hear something, mm-hmm. even if it's not exactly the way I would say it or agree, or it comes with a, a lot with it, um, to be able to, still be able to um, take what's good out of that. So I think just a posture of listening. Mm-hmm. I think also trying to live justly ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really tough if someone is, you know, if someone is kind of known for cheating other people, Yeah. then to want to speak on something. Right. It doesn't lack, a lot, it lacks a lot of credibility. So I do think it starts from our own hearts and works its way out. Um, but I don't know, man, I really don't know what yeah. all the actions are. Um, mm. so <laughs> yeah. I wish I had the answers there, but they're, it's complex questions. Yes. And I think sometimes we have overly simplistic, we kind of broad brush people when we don't always necessarily know mm-hmm. what their experiences have been. And so Agreed. I think we need to be, be careful not to broad brush too much and to really listen to the individual experiences. Um, because this person, any particular, I'm trying to think more individually here, this person's going to spend eternity somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't want to slander or put down someone. So I tend to think kind of more on the individual level. And that's not always—there are systemic things as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. That's just some ramblings. I don't know. Yeah,
2: no, that's good. (laughs) I don't even have an answer to that question I asked. Yeah. Um, What about, like, here in Rapid City particularly, and we as a church, um, what are some, like, kind of practical things? I know you gave some applications, but— what are some like really tangible, practical things we can do um, as a church, particularly people who uh, are not minority? You know, we're, how do how do we just begin like making those practical steps to sort of be with with those who are not like us?
0: Um. I think it. <clears throat> I think we have to build relationships. Yeah. Um. I think if we're just relying on. You know the media or Facebook or something, and that's our only understanding. I think we're gonna we're gonna inevitably not see things clearly. So, I think we need to try to find ways to build relationships with people. Um, I know that like in college, um, I had uh, three. I, I was the RA, so I was in charge of the hall of 24 guys, and I had three uh, African American, I had three black guys that were on, and I had no idea how to relate to them. Like yeah. I grew up in South Dakota, like like rural South Dakota. And so I just didn't really even know where to start. And, uh, and you know, it was tough for them to relate to me too. And so Mm -hmm. we actually had to exchange like some written correspondence. I actually just said that I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know how to relate to you. Yeah. And, uh, and they appreciated that. And we had, you know, living in the same hall, I was in kind of had my eyes open to just what it feels Mm -hmm. like to be one of like a handful of black people in an all white Christian college. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, how people confuse you with each other, even though you look nothing alike, (laughs) just like, just, I I like just sort of living in that world going, Oh, I had no idea that there was like Mm -hmm. these kinds of experiences, not always necessarily like aggressive, negative ones, but just even just sort of like insensitive sort of, man, I I never have to deal with that. So, so I think we have to be in, in proximity with people and and uh, and kind of hear what they have to say, and just consider yeah. like there's a whole world I don't experience. Mm-hmm. So, so like for Redeeming Grace, like we're we're located downtown because I do want us to bump into people, and we haven't had a lot of opportunities to do that. And I want to invest more of my time, just trying to to see the world through someone else's eyes, and then go how does yeah. how can I be used of God in this person's life, um, and how can they be used in my life? Mm-hmm. Like it's not just you know, we have, we, we're projects. missing out a lot yeah. if, if we're only with, have the white perspective. There's yeah. much of the body of Christ and there's much of Christ's glory and the image of God we miss out when we don't mm-hmm. experience that. But, um, Melody McGeary sent in a question. I don't know if she wanted me saying this was her question, but I already did. All right. So how do churches pursue ethnic and racial diversity to represent heaven on earth better, which is similar to yours? Um, I didn't mention this, but I do think we need to pray. Uh, there's a great podcast called United We Pray, which is uh, which talks about a lot of these racial issues and then just spends like half the podcast praying about them. And it, it's by some minority folks who are leading the podcast. And I, I'm just amazed at how they pray. And like, I wouldn't have thought to pray like that. And I'm helped. Yeah. I'm helped by that. So I do think we should pray for it because only God can really do it if we try to. If we try to um, program this, it's not going to work. We, we just know that. <laughs> uh, it's going to have to be the, a work of God among us. And then I think we're going to have to put ourselves in uncomfortable places and be willing to hear things we maybe don't agree with and yeah. maybe keep our mouth shut so that we don't <laughs> say something unintentionally that makes it harder for someone else. Um, And that's part of why I felt like it would have been much easier for me to, to maybe sidestep this issue. And, and maybe in some ways I did, I didn't necessarily speak as strongly as I could in some ways, like, you know, I'm never going to get it exactly right. But if we are going to be the kind of church that sees different races feel welcome here, they need to know that these kinds of things are going to be preached. So we don't have a lot of ethnic diversity yet, but I am hoping to preach in such a way that, that people know, okay, I, I will be considered here, mm-hmm. and what I think will have a place. So I'm still speaking as a white guy, so I'm sure yeah. I said a lot of things that were not helpful. But I hope that the effort, even mm-hmm. in stepping into these things, um, you know, allows makes it easier for those to come in and go. There is a place for me here. Right. So
2: yeah. I think that uh, posture of humility is great. That goes a long way with
0: folks. Beyond that, I don't know. Beyond that, I just yeah. don't know. So part of why I think my heart is drawn towards planning this church is because I want to take a stab at it. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm going to screw up miserably, but I'm like, I need to put myself in a place where it's just, I can't hide from it. I have to, I have to address this. And I want to, I want to see that. I want to see that. Um, I want to see our churches look as much like heaven as possible. And, and so um, I have no idea what I'm doing in that sense, but being far removed from it can't be the answer. i got to right. be in the middle of it. So that's what I'm hoping. But yeah. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Billy.
0: Is there some questions out here?
2: Yeah. Anyone have any questions? You oh, did you? Yeah, oh. Uh, do you want to read it for you?
0: Oh, yeah. We have another question on here, too. Yeah. Well, what do you got?
2: Um, how should a Christian respond to the riots uh, in their own neighborhoods? How can we as Christians... Christians seek justice for those that are hurting as a as a result of the rioting? Hmm.
0: hmm.
2: It's a tough question.
0: Well, I, I I didn't I don't know if I said it very clearly in there, but Injustice is never the answer to injustice. Yeah, so I do think that rioting is not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to try to figure out what's behind it so mm-hmm. while we, we want to stop it, you know, that is lawlessness and that does create more victims. So I do think that the just thing is to try to stop that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also want to know why, where that's coming from. Yeah. So, so I do want to be open enough to not just broad brush in such a way that I miss like, why, why does someone feel so cornered that they had to do this? Yeah, exactly. And maybe it's just simply someone wants to do damage, right. but maybe there's some other things too. So, so I think as a Christian, I think we can and should speak out against that. Um, Without discounting the other injustices like I think it ends up becoming if you're anti-riot You're also anti-justice for George Floyd. Yeah, yeah. and that if you're pro-justice for George Then you have to and it's like I just don't think that we should get ourselves in false dichotomies that Mm -hmm. we can We can Say yeah, that's wrong and that's wrong. And then also try to discern why that happens. So um, Both are true. I think prayer I think we should pray. Pray about these things. Uh, I think we should defend. Defend for more victims. Beyond that, I don't, Mm. it's hard for me to say. (laughs) I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, Another question came in on text. What does it look like to listen to brothers and sisters who have such different experiences from us? Mm. Um, I think questions. I think that's where it started for me is just like, and I don't do this perfectly, but when I have had opportunity just to just ask questions, if I can find someone who's, Hey, I'm going to be the ignorant white guy here. Mm-hmm. Can I ask an ignorant white guy question, mm-hmm. you know, and to, to build the kind of relationship there to go, you know, explain this to me, you know? Um, so, um, I think it has to be on the, the grounds of friendship. Yeah. And I mean, if that, if that person is another brother or sister in Christ, I think that's huge mm-hmm. because you do have a unity and now you need some understanding. Right, so um, I don't know, we're yeah. getting way out of my yeah. Yeah, I, I my ability I don't know to figure out I but
2: remember him in particular he he lived in Rapid for about four years. His name was Dario, and I brought him to South Canyon quite regularly and, and I'm kind of I'm just going to say what he what he experienced. I remember just that kind of listening ear and asking questions and what you're talking of. We'd you know chat after church and go to lunch and so forth and I'm like, well how was it like, and he's like man, I felt like there was a lot of blue hairs there and I was out of place, you know? And I'm just like, just kind of asking them more and more questions like, well, why do you feel that way? What, what was it? But I, that friendship helped me realize like, oh, wow, my perspective, the way I see things isn't the only way. Like, yeah. you know, people, a brother or sister in Christ may see something totally different than you um, and face very real things and very real problems, you know? Mm-hmm. So just that posture of humility, I think, goes a
0: long way. Yeah, in Omaha, there was some. There was a predominantly Black church that we had a close relationship with, and just going and worshiping with them, it was like, oh, like, yeah, is this what it feels like the other way? And they're like, yep. like, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't, I don't, I don't get why. You know, right. well, this is, you know, there's just a lot more expressiveness. You know, the sermons are way longer. Like, <laughs> just there's just so much. Like, mm-hmm. wow, I feel just sort of like on edge because I'm not in my culture. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's what it can feel like the other way. And, yeah. uh, there was a Sudanese church too, that we helped with and to go to a Sudanese church, that's a whole nother. So just, just the idea of culture mm-hmm. that we have a culture mm-hmm. and that that culture is going to be more difficult for us. And if you're in another culture for a while, you begin to feel just kind of tense and weary over time. So, mm-hmm. you know, what's it like to come into a predominantly white church? They're going to be predominantly white. They just are, Yeah. yeah. you know, to kind of live in that. It takes a lot of bravery, mm-hmm. so. Well, we should uh, we should probably be done, unless you got another question there. But no, I'm good. yeah, this was uh, this was a bit of an intimidating one, just because I was like, man, I, I just don't I just don't have all the answers here. But yeah. I don't want to be cowardly, and, and if we do want others to come, then we've got to we've got to at least make it clear that we're willing to talk about these things, and we want to learn, we want to hear. So mm-hmm. anyway, yep. thanks, brother. Yep. I think Hunter's going to come up. We're going to close with a testimony. Um. Hello, Hunter Moyer. (laughs) Morning. (laughs) Is it on? Is the green light on there? Okay, good. Perfect. That seems to be... Something we forget sometimes. So I just have three questions for you. Um, the first one is tell us how you grew up, how you came to know the Lord.
3: Okay. Uh, so I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, my wife did too. And I grew up in a home uh, where we did not go to church, Christ was not involved. And so my first experience was basically through voice counts and other people's fathers. Um, and that continued through high school, college, medical school. And then residency um, is the first, so during residency, in surgery residency, you really get a heightened sense of yourself, very much. And it wasn't until uh, one one night in the ICU that uh, a patient passed away and I did something that was wrong. I missed it. And everything came crashing down. My sense of inflation, how great I was, and it really became clear that I wasn't in charge or control of anything, and it's funny because going through medical school and and seeing the anatomy and the human body and the, how can you miss this creation? How can you miss that there must be a creator? And so that really started it for me. And then my wife, uh, we just had our first child, and she was seeking, and she pulled me with her to uh, North Point Ministries, which is Andy Stanley's Ministries in, mm-hmm. in Atlanta, and um, that's where I proclaim my faith. And so I, I feel at that time I was justified. Uh, but it took quite a bit of maturation and continued sanctification and sin on my part um, that over the next years, my my faith has been strengthened um, mostly through my marriage. Um, God gave us marriage so we can experience love and pain <clears throat> at the same time and commitment. <clears throat> and, uh, and so it was The unconditional love and grace that was given to me by my wife that's just made me realize how much greater the grace and love that's given to me by my Savior. Hmm. So it's, of course, a process.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, Tell us about your wife, your kids. Introduce us to your family.
3: So uh, they're here, Melissa, uh, and then Jackson is 13 and Ryland's 10, and we've been here in Rapid City for almost actually three years now. Um, moved from Atlanta Georgia we were there for 22 years and as as I said Melissa and I grew up in Jacksonville so yeah we've known each other since uh, started dating at 16.
0: Wow high school sweethearts yeah awesome yeah cool well tell us how you serve Christ how you you seek to be used by him now and going forward
3: well I think uh, for us uh, it's mostly being honest open and really having the boldness to talk about Christ wherever we are. Um, mm. Something that I've, again, matured in over time is is at work. Um, I develop relationships with patients, seeing them over and over again, and I, I'm not afraid to bring up Christ. Mm-hmm. Ten, seven, 10, years ago, I might have been. So it's, in, and at the same time, in the work environment, talking to other surgeons and other medical professionals and just being open about what I feel and what I believe. and and so just having that boldness is kind of what I feel like is my role at this point.
0: That's good. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, thanks for sharing. Yeah, thanks for having Yeah. Me. Yeah. Appreciate the testimonies at the end and appreciate your family and your partnership in the gospel in this church. As we get going, figure out what we're doing. <laughs> So uh, thank you for joining us on this live stream. I pray that there was something of help, maybe something that the Lord would use in your heart and your life. Um, and let's pray. Let's pray that the Lord would lead us together to be the kinds of people who, uh, who love justice, who, who love, who do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Uh, we don't know how to do that perfectly, but we want to learn. We want to grow and we are trusting God for this. And let's pray. Let's be people of prayer in this time um, of COVID, in this time of of all the unrest in the world, let's first and foremost go before our God who is on his throne and who is working for our good. And here's a benediction from Revelation 21, 3 and 4. I read this in the message, but it's such a good reminder for us. Remember, uh, Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's a great hope that we have that the world will not always be as it is. And so let's work for justice. Let's work for mercy. Let's love the people around us. Let's be representatives of this kind of kingdom knowing that God will surely do it. God will surely do it. So God bless you and I hope you have a great week.